Amen. As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, the app, whatever you use to follow along, we're going to be in John chapter 11 today. John chapter 11. I've never been a fan of atheism. Now, I know that that shocks you that a Baptist preacher uh, wouldn't be a fan of atheism. In fact, Twitter's exploding right now. Lash Banks doesn't believe in atheism. But uh, atheism is a definitive statement. It says there is no God, and it is bound in the naturalistic world, and because of such, therefore, it really needs to be verified by naturalistic elements. So it has to be observed that there is no God. So to really say there is no God with certainty, then you would have to be able to visit every corner of the universe to observe that there is no God. And not only would you have to be able to visit every corner of the universe, but you would also have to be able to visit all of those corners at the same time. Because what if uh, God was here at one moment and then moved over here to the next moment? So if you could be in every corner of the universe at all times and observe that there is no God, then I personally would start nominating you for God, and I know for sure that you're not God. So logic would say that to say God does not exist definitively is really a stretch of logic. So if you are an atheist, we're glad you're here. Hope that you're learning more about Christ and his love. But really, uh, agnosticism is a much more palatable form of of paganism than atheism. Now, a second reason why uh, I do not... really jive with atheism is because there's so much disease and so much decay in this world. And if this is all there is, it, it's really quite depressing. It's not a happy, happy story. In fact, if there is no God, then our existence itself is very nihilistic. You live and you die, and you hope to squeeze a few happy moments along the way. Now, the message of Jesus is exactly the opposite of that. Instead of being alone in this world, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus says, I loved you. I love you for God so loved the world that he sent his son. Instead of death being the end of life, the message of Jesus says that death is just the beginning of what life is all about. Instead of a message of despair, the message of Jesus is a message of hope. Instead of a message of pure law, the message of Jesus is grounded in grace. It goes beyond the natural and calls us, call, leads us to the supernatural. Now, consider this quote by Jesus in John 11 and verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. He goes on to say, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. And then he asks a pointed question. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Now, just like us, Jesus had friends. In fact, Jesus had some close friends. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were close friends of Jesus. I would imagine they hung out and watched a little football from time to time. Uh, They probably played dominoes along the way. They were friends. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in Bethany just outside of Jerusalem, and it appears when Jesus would travel that way, he often stayed at their home. 
Well, one day, Lazarus gets sick. Put yourself in a world where there's not modern medicine, and you can imagine how sicknesses could very quickly turn into something that was very, very serious. And so Lazarus is on the verge of death. So in verse 3, the sisters send a message to Jesus, and they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going there again? Aren't there 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. If anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. Now, several things I want you to observe right here. The Bible says that whenever Jesus gets the text about Lazarus, okay, it wasn't a text, but when he gets the news about Lazarus, that he stays two more days. In fact, it says that Jesus loved Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, and when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. That in fact, one of the ways that he was going to express his love for them was by allowing them to be a part of this miracle. Now, also notice that Lazarus' sickness and death had a purpose. In verse 4, Jesus says specifically, This sickness has occurred so that uh, glory might be brought to God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This was a situation where God was using a sickness as part of his plan so that glory and worship might be brought to him. Now notice number three, the timing was right for Jesus to go to Bethany. He talks about darkness is coming. There is a day when I will be crucified. There is coming a day when I will go back to be with the Father. But Jesus says, right now, I am the light of the world. I am living amongst you. Right now, it is, it is my time to go and minister. The disciples were scared that Jesus was going to be stoned if he went back to Judea because in the previous chapter, the Jews had tried to stone Jesus. Jesus is like, God didn't send me here to die with the rocks. He sent me here to die on the cross. Right now is my season. This is my time to go and be with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Now, timing is an interesting aspect to the Christian life. Uh, In our lives, there are times where God gives us what I would call a divine appointment. Those moments when God brings somebody across your path, those moments where God puts you in a position where there's that opportunity to minister, there's that opportunity to make a difference in the world around you. Last summer, I was on a flight back to Dallas. I was flying Southwest Airlines, ding, and and you know how how Southwest kind of takes you up in the air, and then they'll put you back down, and they'll take you up again and put you back down. And what do they do whenever they do one of those ups and downs? Everybody, half the people get off the plane, and then more people get back on the plane. And when everybody gets off the plane, if you're sitting through, what can you do then? You can change seats, right? 
So I was cramped in my seat, so we're sitting there on the ground and waiting for the next takeoff. So I'm like, I'm going to move seats, and I'm going to go to the aisle seat. You've got to be physically fit to be on the aisle seat, you know. So I'm going to the aisle seat so that I have more leg room, and I'm, I'm sitting there. And, and they couldn't get the count right. They always say, sit still while we get a count, and they couldn't get that right. So do you know what they do on Southwest Airlines when they can't get the count right? They call roll. They call roll. So they take out the old teacher's role, and they start going down the list of passengers that are supposed to be on the, on the plane. Lashley Banks, don't call me Lashley, but Lashley Banks was the first name they called. Here, uh, Jeffrey Barger, they, here. And so they go down the whole role, and I notice that the guy sitting next to me is Jeff Barger. Jeff Barger and I grew up together. We like hung out whenever we were eight, nine, ten years old. It had been like 30-something years since we had seen each other. Life had kind of changed us along the way. And so I'm like, man, I moved to the very row where you are sitting, and we spent the entire flight catching up and talking about what God had done in our lives and, and just you know laughing and reminiscing. And I thought to myself, what a coincidence. And I thought, no, that wasn't a coincidence. That was a divine appointment. That was one of those moments where the timing was right and God put me in a situation where I could minister to Jeff and he could minister to me as well. And part of maturing in the Christian life is looking for those divine appointments when you can seize the moment and minister to someone in the name of the Lord. Well, the story continues in verse 11. He said this and then told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. And then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Now, if this section weren't about someone's death, it would actually be a little bit humorous because Jesus is trying to be polite, and he's perhaps even foreshadowing to what he's going to do. And he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep, and the disciples are, you know, one of the things that you notice about the disciples as you read the Gospels is that they tend to be a little bit slow learners along the way. Maybe a little dense sometimes. Now, God was going to mature them and grow them and use them to do incredible things, but early on, they had a hard time getting it sometimes. And I would imagine there were times where Jesus just kind of shook his head and and looked up at the Heavenly Father and said, Seriously? Of all the people on planet Earth, you give me these 12 guys to follow around with me? Really? I mean, they are so far from where they need to be, but there's also a lesson there that sometimes God puts people in your life that you can mentor. God puts people in your life that they may not be where they need to be right now, but work with them, teach them, love them, help them, because God may want to do some great things through them. Well, then Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go, let's go so that we may, what word does he use? Wake up. Let's go so that we may die with him. Now, this just struck me whenever I was studying this passage. Because what is Thomas known for? Doubting. Poor guy. He's always known for his doubting. 
After the resurrection of Jesus, Thomas wouldn't believe until he actually felt the hands and felt the feet of Christ, and he could verify that it really was Christ. And that label, Doubting Thomas, goes with him all over the place. Poor guy, he can't get away from it. We even sing songs about Thomas. Don't be a doubting Thomas, rest fully on his promise. Poor guy, everybody knows him as Doubting Thomas. But I want you to notice that Thomas also had a lot of courage. He also had a lot of commitment. He was willing to go with Jesus to Jerusalem, and he was willing to die. In fact, he was planning to die for Jesus. Let's go with him so that we might die with him. Well, when Jesus arrived in verse 17, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, and notice this, this is our focal passage of the day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die ever. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Now notice Jesus' claim here. Sometimes people say that Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. He never claimed to be the path of salvation, but he clearly says, I am the resurrection and the life. In another passage, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. One of the differences between Jesus' teachings and other religious leaders is that Jesus didn't just call us to believe things that he taught. He called us to believe in him. He called us to place our faith not just in his teachings, not just in his organization, but to place our faith in him as our Savior and our Lord. He says, your job is to believe in me. He goes on to say, if you believe in me, then even if you die, you live because you never really die. I am the resurrection and the life. There is more to life than what you can see. There is such a thing as eternity. There is a deeper reality to the world around you. And then he says to her, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Mission critical to being a Christian is believing in Jesus. Now that sounds a little bit simplistic. It sounds a little bit funny that mission critical to being a Christian is to believe in Jesus. Yes. But I am amazed at how many people try to live the Christian life without really believing in Jesus. We embrace the morals and ethics. We try to do Christian things. We go to church. We study the teachings of Jesus. But do we actually 
believe in Jesus. You see the difference? Uh, Recently, I bought a used car. And so uh, as I was shopping for used cars, you know, you pull up the features on the car and it'll have, you know, have like two pages worth of features. This car has a steering wheel and this car has a key that starts it. And this car has windows that roll up and down. And, and this car even has four tires that go around. And it has all these features. I mean, just list after, item after item of features on the car. And there might be like two lines about the engine. Now, the engine's the thing that drives the car. If you don't have an engine, you're not going anywhere. And I'm amazed at how many people, uh, they'll, they'll look at the car, they'll, it smells good, looks good, and everything like that, and they'll buy the car without ever even considering, is it a good engine? And I see people do that with Christianity all the time. Uh, they like the comfy interior. Nice building. I like it. Yeah. Ah, cool lights. Oh, it smells good. Oh, oh, look at all the activities that's going on here. Oh, look at all the features that's here. Oh, wow, this is really cool. This is great. And they never even stop to open the hood and ask, what's the engine? What really drives this? At Murphy Road Baptist Church, what drives us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he called us to believe in is himself. He is the object of our worship. He is the reason why we gather. He is our engine. You cannot be a Christian without believing in Jesus Christ. If the engine is bad, the vehicle's not going anywhere. If in Christianity you haven't ever believed in Jesus Christ, your Christian life's not going anywhere. I was talking to a used car dealer about why people trade in their cars. And he was saying, you know, Lash, it's amazing why people trade in their cars. I mean, it'll have a little squeak back in the back, and they'll trade it in, or, or uh, you know, it has like a $200 uh, repair that needs to be done on it, so they'll trade it in. And, and, you know, it's just amazing some of the things that, some of the reasons why people uh, trade in their cars. And I got to thinking, you know, the same thing happens with church. People will trade in their church for the, the most simplistic things, cosmetic things. I didn't like that third song that Paul sang today. I didn't like Lash's sweater. It was Auburn colors, and I'm an Alabama fan. Or, or I, I didn't like uh, my, my third grader had an argument with another third grader. Instead of working through it, we're like, yeah, your son's evil. And, you know, I mean, we just, the, the most superficial things, it's like, well, we'll trade in our church, and we'll go to another, another church, and then, then we'll trade in that church in three months, and we'll go to another church, and it just becomes a chain in your life uh, where you're constantly trading in your church over superficial superficial things, and have you ever stopped and just looked at the engine and asked yourself, okay, are we worshiping God? Are we studying the Bible? Are we being taught to minister to one another? Are we, are we being given opportunities to fellowship? Is this a place that loves their community and is caring about missions and trying to share the love of Christ with the world? Is the engine healthy? Because if the engine is healthy, that's a church that's going someplace. That's a church you want to be a part of. A Christian believes that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. A Christian believes that everyone who believes in him will never die This is at the foundation. It's the engine of the faith. In the words of Jesus, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Now, having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. 
And as soon as she heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. Just a word on verse 31. Literally in this culture, they had people who were professional consolers. When someone died, they would go to the house and they would, they would console them and they would even mourn with them. You had professional criers and the thought was is that the bigger the spectacle, the more the person was loved. And so you had professional funeral goers, basically. Okay? So some of these Hebrews that had come out, uh, they, they may not have even known Lazarus, but they were there with Mary and Martha and they were consoling her and they were crying and they were mourning with her. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, this particular Mary in Scripture, every time you see her, she's at the feet of Jesus worshiping. And she falls at the feet of Jesus and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think there was also a little bit of disappointment here. If only you had gotten here. If only you had come. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. I think he was moved by her sorrow and he was also angry at the spectacle that was being made by these people. Where have you put him? He asked the Lord. And they told him, come and see. And in verse 35, the Bible says, Jesus wept. Now that verse is known for being the shortest verse in the Bible. But it should be known for a display of the compassion of Christ. Christ felt the pain of those that he loved. He wept with them. He, cry, he, he mourned with them. He took on their emotions. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, angry in himself, again came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against him. Now this is the second time in the passage that it says Jesus got angry. And it leads us to a question that I sometimes hear. Is it a sin to be angry? And the answer to that is no. Uh, Anger is a natural human emotion. We sometimes feel angry. The Bible tells us though in Ephesians 4 and verse 26, In your anger do not sin. So whenever we feel angry, we do not need to let that lead us to behavior that is sinful behavior. Now here, Jesus gets angry. He gets angry whenever he cleanses the temple. And what he is angry about is the hypocrisy of the Jews. They were fakes. Can you imagine how irritating it had to be that here were these people that had come up to Jerusalem to console his friends And they have their arm around the ladies, consoling them. And at the same time that they are acting as though they are caring, they are also spreading venom. Oh, I'm so sorry your brother died. You know that man that you believe in? It's amazing how he healed the blind man, but he didn't even care enough to be here for your brother. You know, you would think if he could heal the blind man, he could have healed your brother. Oh, I'm so sorry, honey. Go ahead, let it all out. It angered Jesus. You know, in life, one of the things we have to pray for is discernment. We have to ask God to help us know who our true friends are and who are those people in your life. They're just trying to use you. I heard one preacher call it your friends and your lovers. 
There'll be people in your life that are your true friends, people that do care about you, people that will be there with for you through thick and thin. They care about your well-being. And there are other people that just love you for what they can get out of you. You're nothing more than a commodity to them. And so as long as you're giving them what they need or what they desire, they're there for you. But the minute you, the minute you go through a hard time, the minute you quit taking care of them along the way, they discard you. You're of no use to them. As Christians, we have to learn to pray for discernment. Lord, who are those people that you've put in my life that are true Christ followers, people that truly love you and love me? Remove the stone, Jesus said in verse 39. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, uh, he's already decaying, and it's been four days. In other words, Jesus, he stinks. And Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may, here's our word again, believe you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, with his face wrapped in a cloth, and Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. God performed a miracle. In fact, let's just give the Lord a hand for this, for this miracle that he performed in Lazarus' life. Now, don't miss the whole point of the story. The miracle occurred so that glory could be brought to God. All the way back in verse 4, Jesus said, he's sick so that glory can come to God. His sickness is going to draw people to God. Secondly, Lazarus' resurrection is a picture of what happens when you believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though he dies. Lazarus is a picture of what happens to us when we spiritually believe in Jesus Christ. Even though there is death and decay in this world, there is something more. There is eternal life. Even though we die physically, we come alive spiritually. He illustrates what it means that he's the resurrection and the life through Lazarus. Have you read the news lately? Some of you may have been doing that during that, the sermon. Okay, stop that. Have you read the news lately? It's depressing. Ever sat in your life group and listened to the prayer request? There's a lot of people around you going through struggle. You're probably going through struggle right now. A lot of people sick and tired and sick and tired of being sick and tired. Death and decay, fear, fear of fear, paranoia, everywhere you turn. It's real. It's the world that we live in. In my life, in the last two weeks, uh, last week I told you about my friend Jeff, 53 years old. A couple Sundays ago, he, he died of a heart attack out bowling. I miss Jeff. This week, had another friend, Bill, 67 years old, died. Stacy had a classmate, classmate from school that she knew pretty well, and he, he died as well in his 30s. Hurts. Hurts. When you lose people that are your friends. And death is a real part of life. It's, it's everywhere. And if this is all there is, if there's nothing more than this life, it's depressing. 
You live, you try to pay some bills, you try to squeeze some fun out of life, and then you die. If this is all there is, it's depressing. But that's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is there's a lot more to life than just what you see here. I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. You see, because of Jesus, because he's the resurrection and the life, my friends Jeff and Bill, they're in heaven today. That's not just make-believe thought and happy thoughts that gets me through. It's real. They're in heaven today. They live because of Christ. My grandmother died when she was 22 years old. My mom was two years old. I never got to meet my grandmother. Uh, from what I understand, she's a remarkable, she was a remarkable woman. College educated back in the 30s. She was the kindergarten teacher in Wilmont, Arkansas, loved by the whole town, and then died tragically at age 22. All I have of her are some pictures and a few stories along the way. But one day I'm going to meet her. One day I'm going to know her. One day we'll know each other well. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he taught us over and over and over again, there's more to life than just what's in front of you. That heaven is a real place. Eternal life is real. Listen, are you going to spend your lifespan, whether that's 20 years or 100 years, simply inoculating yourself with temporary diversions until you die? Watching football, watching baseball, going with the kids here, eating this meal, just do that over and over again every day until you die, and that's life. Or are you going to truly believe in Jesus and learn that you can live this life with a radical freedom. There's an incredible freedom that is found in believing in Jesus because whenever we believe in Jesus, we have a freedom of one who understands that beyond law there is grace, beyond the natural there is the supernatural. We have the freedom of one who lives forgiven, who is loved in spite of myself. We have the freedom of one whose today has meaning, whose life has purpose, whose life is marked with divine appointments where the fingers of God are at work in our life. We have the freedom of living life with faith. We have the freedom of realizing that there is an eternity of hope, that there is life beyond this world, that life is not simply nihilistic, try to survive until you die, emptiness, but life is filled with direction and meaning and depth. The call of Christ is to believe in him. And you cannot be a Christian without believing in Christ. So here's the question of Jesus. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment? I ask you this question this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe in Christ as your Lord and your Savior, over and over again through the stories of the gospel, he calls us to believe in him. It's good that you're at church today, but he calls you to more. It's good that you sing, but he calls you to more. It's good that you're a good person, but he calls you to more. He calls you to believe in him. Have you ever believed? You say, Lash, I, I need to believe in Christ this morning. Right where you are, I want you to call out to your God. There's no magical formula but just call out to your God and say, Lord, I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is the resurrection 
and the life, and I place my faith in him as my Savior and my Lord. I ask your forgiveness of my sins, and I pray for strength to live my life as a follower of Christ. Help me to live today with meaning. Help me to believe and to push through doubts and to be a person of faith. I believe in Christ. Today is that moment in your life where you believed. Mark this place, Murphy Road Baptist Church. Mark this moment where you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to know about it. I'll be here at the front. I encourage you to come and tell me I believed in Christ today. I won't embarrass you. I'll simply celebrate with you. I'll be here after the service. I would love to talk with you then as well. Last week we had a young lady, Brittany, in the 11 o'clock service come to me and say, I, I'm not a person of faith, but I want to be. And she believed in Christ. And I hope that we have stories like that in your life today as well. Father, thank you. Thank you that there is more that my stories of grief don't end at the grave, that relationships that we form here can last for all eternity, that your love for us reaches into the depths and it pulls us to eternal life with you. Help us, Lord, to believe. And Lord, I know that sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we have doubts and we have questions, but Lord, help us to be those people of faith that believe in you. Thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. We now lift up an offering of song to you and we sing it from the depths of our soul. May it be pleasing to you, our Lord. In your name we pray.